Well, good morning, guys. For those of you who have not met me, my name is Justin Patterson, and I'm one of the elders here at Shallowford. Uh, I'll start with the obvious. I'm not Johnny Day. So you thought you were getting a varsity team, and you're getting the JV. So <laughs> We're going to be talking about uh, Matthew 5.5 this morning. Uh, we are in our fourth week of sermon series. We're titling The Good Life. And I was reminded this morning as I was thinking about just kind of the butterflies of uh, coming and preaching to you guys this morning, I was actually reminded of my wedding day. And before you think that it's just me being nervous on my wedding day, and that's where I'm going with this, uh, i got to tell you the quick story. So Kristen and I got married in Brazelton, Georgia, and we found a wedding venue. It was outside of Atlanta, so we could afford it. Um, we wanted to get married in a church. And so we found a very small uh, Baptist church right around the corner. It was like a mile away from the venue. And when I say small, I mean it was small, right? Think of your traditional just small wooden pews kind of right out of a movie. And I distinctly remember as the church pews filled up with 100, 150 people that we had at our wedding, standing next to the pastor of this small church, outside at the back waiting to go in and him peeking in there and he looked like a ghost looked like he was sweating bullets and I thought aren't I the one that's supposed to be nervous here I'm making the biggest second biggest decision of my life right Uh, and he's like there's a lot of people in there (laughs) so fast forward into the ceremony I thought he was going to lose it at one point he got stammered and looked all all uh nervous, I said, hey, you're doing fine. So I will humbly submit to you guys that this being the first time preaching in the congregation, uh, there's definitely some nervous excitement coming into this morning, but I'll also confidently say that I was nowhere near as nervous as Wit was on that day, our pastor that officiated our ceremony. So before we dive into Matthew 5.5, let me open us up in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to be with us in the next coming minutes. Lord, give me clear articulation. Give me your word. Let it be your breath in my lungs. And Father, for those here today, I pray that you would just open their hearts and that you would speak directly to their hearts. Let this be a fruitful time. Let it be all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew 5.5, the English Standard Version reads, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, reads, Blessed are the humble. I'm going to give you one more. The NASB, the New American Standard Bible, reads, Blessed are the gentle. So let me set some expectations for the next 20 to 30 minutes. We're going to try to dive deeper into Matthew 5.5 and answer four questions. All right, we're going to look at what does it mean to be meek? Why is it so hard to be meek? Who is meek? Or who do we see in Scripture demonstrating meekness? And lastly, why is Jesus telling us to be meek? Now, some of you may be familiar with the progressive nature of the Beatitudes, right? We've talked about 
uh, how one leads to the other, and I've heard some pastors even reference a flight of stairs, right? To climb the stairs, you've got to take it step by step. So looking back at week two of this sermon series, we looked at poor in spirit, right? Blessed are those who are in poor in spirit, it's Matthew 5.3. And Pastor Johnny talked to us about the poverty principle, right? And that we can't rely on our own resources or ourselves to bring us the good life. Last week, Pastor Johnny taught on Matthew 5, 4, right? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And so I think there's a strong argument to be made that it's because we're poor in spirit and we recognize our need that we see the reality of the fallen nature of this world and our sin, and it causes us to mourn. And then that mourning should produce in us a meekness, but we must then figure out what does it mean to be meek. Now, I'll tell you right now my own personal thoughts about meek coming into this preparation for this sermon. Is I do not like that word, right? Nobody likes the word meek. You have an instantaneous visceral reaction to it, right? No, no, not me, not this guy, right? Growing up, I was the youngest of four boys, all right? Uh, all of us athletes, all of us fiercely competitive. Frequently, I would find myself in my childhood playing basketball in the driveway, football in the backyard, sometimes with boys three, four years older than me, right? And so growing up, it's a lot of be stronger, right? Be faster, work harder, be tougher. But isn't that what society teaches us in general? How can we be meek in a society that demands the opposite? But before we go any further, let's look at some biblical context for defining meek. I already talked about some synonyms in the CSB and the NASB, right? We got gentle, humble. The Greek word used here in the New Testament means a total lack of self-pride to the point of a lack of self-concern. And in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for meek is defined as someone who is afflicted or bearing a heavy burden. Another analogous Greek word for meek is expressed as a decided strength of disciplined calmness. So we have a few different pieces of a definition to work off so far. We have a total lack of self-pride. Think of that as humble. Someone who is afflicted or bearing a heavy burden. Someone who has the strength and discipline to remain calm. You can think of that as gentle. In preparation for today, I read a great article by a Christian businessman named Mark Kaner. And in writing on Matthew 5.5 for Regents University, he framed the attitude of meekness as the following. Meekness is essentially an attitude or quality of heart whereby a person is willing to accept and submit without resistance to the will and desire of someone else. Let me read that one more time. Meekness is essentially an attitude or a quality of heart whereby a person is willing to accept and submit without resistance to the will and desire of someone else. And I think that's a great way to frame spiritual meekness. The idea that as Christians... Meekness is a response to and even caused by submission 
to God's will. Now Jesus, throughout his teachings in the gospel, frequently referenced Old Testament scripture. Right? And many think that here in Matthew 5.5, 5, he was likely referencing Psalm 37. So I'd like for us to look at Psalm 37. And specifically, he was likely referencing Psalm 37.11. So if you're turning your Bibles, feel free to go to Psalm 37. I, I want to read 37.11, but then I want to I read the whole um, 1 through 11 for us. So Psalm 37.11, David writes, But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. But for us to get a clearer picture as to what David's talking about here, let's go back and start at verse 1. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger, and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. So leading up to verse 11, we see some instruction that ultimately culminates in the title of the meek. It says, don't be envious. Trust in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently. Don't fret. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. So do this, do this, do this. And for those who do these things... They shall inherit the land. So through Psalm 37, we start to see a little clearer picture of what does it mean to be meek as a Christian. As I read this, I'm reminded of a squabble between two children. Allow me to explain. Uh, one of the great things about being a parent is that you get to get a look at what it must feel like for God dealing with children. Right? And the relationship between our Heavenly Father and us. So, I'll tell you a quick funny story, and my parents are here today, so I told them before the service, sorry to open up old wounds here, but when I was in probably middle school, maybe early high school, uh, my brother in age just above me, Jacob and I, got into a fight, and we just so happened to have these beautiful Norman Rockwell plates hanging on the wall in our house, okay? I think there was three of them. And we could talk about how sane it is to have plates hanging on the wall in a house with four boys, but neither here nor there. So my brother and I get in a fight, and he throws me into the rack of plates, and subsequently they all break. And the second it happened, we all knew 
the gravity of the situation and what had just happened. Now, these weren't any Norman Rockwell plates. Unfortunately, these were the only things that my father had retained or inherited from the estate of his grandmother. And it just so happens that that was his favorite grandmother that he used to live with at one point in time. And so there was a lot of sentimental value attached to them. So again, as soon as it happens, we, uh-oh, we knew what had happened. I remember when that happened, my father couldn't deal with us for a couple days, which we could probably preach a whole sermon about how that was meekness in itself, right? But when he did, I would imagine, or if I remember it went something like this, right? Separate the children, and we're not interested in what I care about at that moment is what are you going to do to him? He was the instigator. He was the evildoer, right, if I want to use some, some Psalm 37 language. But you know that feeling as a child when you want to know, well, what about him? What's the punishment going to be for him? And any good and wise parent in a situation like this when you're disciplining your children says, don't worry about him. That's for me to worry about. I'm worried about you. We're going to talk about what you could have done differently. Don't you imagine, as we think about Psalm 37 here, that is how God is, in, is instructing us through David? God says, I will deal with the wicked. It's not for you to fret over. You trust in the Lord. You commit your ways to me. You be still and patient. You refrain from anger, and then you, the meek, will inherit the land. God is saying, you trust me, have faith, I will deal with the wicked, you just trust me. And so our first point to acknowledge today is that being meek is an act of faith. It's Proverbs 3.5, trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. See, it's our own understanding that leads us to the opposite of meekness. Let's just acknowledge for a second how difficult it is to be meek. It's not easy. And I'll personally humble myself for a minute and say that if you were to survey my wife my friends or my family, at least in their traditional understanding of the word meek, I'm not so sure they would say that Justin is a real meek person. And so as I prepared for this morning, leading up to today, I felt personally convicted throughout my preparation for this service, and I've been under spiritual attack from the enemy saying, what business do you have preaching? much less on the topic of being meek. So the good news for all of you guys is you can mark yourself safe from being preached at this morning. Okay, because if anyone needs this message, it's me. See, we want to fret. We want to lash out. We want to be angry. We don't want to be calm. So the second question of the day for us to wrestle with this morning is, Why is it so hard to be meek? If to be meek 
is an act of faith. It is to trust in someone other than ourselves. In this case, God. But we don't want to trust anyone, do we? Society has conditioned us to not trust anyone but ourselves. We have trust issues. If you're to point to someone who is aggressive, angry, prideful, harsh, self-reliant, etc., you're likely to find that that person has dealt with some trauma in their life. Some circumstance that has led them unable to trust and striving towards total independence. Society teaches us to trust in us and us alone for our identity to be worldly. All about independence. But for us to be truly meek, as Christ calls us to be, we have to learn to put our trust somewhere other than in just ourselves. See, as a Christian, I can have faith enough to be meek because my trust is in Christ. My identity is in Him. Not as a father or a husband or a business owner or any other worldly title, but as a follower of Christ. And that leads us to our third question today. Who is meek? Who do we see in Scripture as demonstrating meekness? We could talk about Moses. Numbers 12, 3 reads, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Or we could talk about Paul. In 2 Corinthians 10.1, he references Christ's meekness and then describes himself with the same virtue as being gentle. Some translations read humble, some timid. But instead, I want to skip directly to our greatest example of all, and that is, of course, Christ. So our second point today is we see in Christ the perfect example of of meekness. We see in Christ the perfect example of meekness. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, Jesus is speaking to the crowds and he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The American Standard Version, instead of gentle there, uses the word meek. In his book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland tells this passage is the only place in the four gospel accounts that Jesus tells us about his own heart. It's a fantastic book. We have some copies in the back for anyone who would like one. Gentle and Lowly by Dane Orland. But I'd like to read a small excerpt from the very first chapter of that book. Dane writes, I am gentle, 
The Greek word translated gentle here occurs just three other times in the New Testament. In the first beatitude, that the meek will inherit the earth, Matthew 5, 5. In the prophecy in Matthew 21, 5, quoting Zechariah 9, 9, that Jesus the king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey. And in Peter's encouragement to wives to nurture more than anything else, the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, 1 Peter 3, verse 4. Meek, humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger-happy. He's not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He's the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger but open arms. Now that excerpt just referenced the triumphal entry. So let's go there. This is Matthew chapter 21. Jesus instructs his disciples to go into the village and find the donkey for Jesus to ride into Jerusalem. In verse 5, he quotes Zechariah 9.9 saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Humble, and mounted on a donkey, the fowl of a beast of burden. See, Jesus didn't ride into Jerusalem on a white horse. That would have been customary in those days for a king. It would have signified a victory and royalty. No, rather he came gentle and lowly on a donkey. Now there will come a time when Jesus rides a white horse. But that's Revelation 19, and that's a different sermon for a different day. How about his perfect submission to the Father? While both fully God and fully man, Jesus says in Luke twenty-two forty-two, 42, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Think about that for a second. Jesus, who could change his circumstances at any given second, allowed himself to be arrested, beaten, tormented, crucified. And at any given time, he could have changed his circumstances. Instead, he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. See, with the word meek, there's this idea of restraint. Specifically restraint when you have the ability to do something about it. Jesus could have called down 10,000 angels he could have made his oppressors drop dead in the blink of an eye. Yet he had the strength to restrain. The strength to refrain from anger. The strength to remain calm and at times silent. The strength to trust in his Father's holy plan. Thus, in his perfect submission to the Father, 
in his meekness, he said, not my will, but yours be done. And so in Christ, we see the perfect example of meekness. That brings us to our third question to answer today, which is why? Why is Jesus telling us to be meek? Well, let's revisit the earlier definition of spiritual meekness. The idea that as Christians, meekness is a response to and even caused by submission to God's will. We're in the middle of a sermon series titled The Good Life. So how does submitting to God's will, God's authority, lead to the good life? Our third point today is this. There is peace and strength that comes from being under authority. There is peace and strength that comes from being under authority. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 12, 9. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Let's consider Paul's words as he references the thorn in his flesh. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Content. When I read that, I say, content? Really, Paul? You're content. You're content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities? Why aren't you angry? Why aren't you fretting about it? Why aren't you lashing out? Why aren't you complaining? No, instead, Paul is content and even boasting all the more of his weaknesses. He's not being self-reliant. He's not being prideful. His trust and his faith are not in himself. They are entirely in Christ. See, Paul understood that when we submit to the will of God, we stop relying on ourselves and we turn to Christ for our strength so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Perhaps the most notable example in the Bible of being under authority is the story of the faith of the centurion in Matthew chapter 8. So I want to read that for us now. I'll read it starting at verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself 
I'm a man under authority. With soldiers under me, I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And he said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I actually think the centurion displays great meekness here. He asks for help. Right? He isn't going to be self-reliant here and try and fix it himself. He's not over there on WebMD trying to figure out the symptoms for his servant. He humbles himself. Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Makes a statement of faith. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. Then in verse 9, he acknowledges the authority of Christ. Ultimately, he displays great faith. In this story, you see a man under authority, understanding the authority of Christ. He displays an act of faith that amazes Jesus. We could spend a whole sermon just talking about that. Don't you want to have the kind of faith that amazes Jesus? But think about the peace that comes from that kind of faith. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Work that into your prayer life. And strength. Ultimately, the centurion here doesn't receive strength of his own. Rather, he calls on one far greater, and Christ's power is revealed. Christ heals a non-present servant, puts his power on display because of the faith of the centurion. So why does being meek lead to the good life? Why is it a beatitude? There is great peace and strength that comes from being under God's authority. Psalm 28, 7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him, my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exults, and with my song, I give thanks to him. See, our strength comes from complete surrender to the authority of God. And there is great joy and peace found with it. So blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. For they shall inherit the earth. This wasn't a unique phrase that Jesus threw out. In fact, similar language has been used multiple times in the Old Testament, one of which we already looked at in Psalm 37. But there's two things I want to note here. One, as Pastor Johnny pointed out last week when talking about Matthew 5, 4, for they shall be comforted, there's both a now and then aspect of this. To inherit the earth or inherit the land isn't just referencing the future. But when we are reborn as sons and daughters of the living God, we become heirs. Heirs with an inheritance. An inheritance is a birthright. It cannot be taken away. 
we get fellowship with our Savior. Through Jesus, we get access to the Father. We get the comfort of the Holy Spirit, fruit of the Spirit. These are all things we get now as sons and daughters of the living God. But also looking to the future, Revelation speaks of the new heaven and the new earth. And the one who sits on the throne being with humanity. That is our future glorious inheritance. So blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We've learned today that contrary to our worldly view of the word meek, being meek actually takes strength and discipline, and it is a great act of faith. It is in Christ that we see the perfect example of meekness. Christ sets the example of being meek, humble, gentle, and of submitting to the will of the Father. His call to us is for us to do the same and let his power be made perfect in our weakness so that we may experience the good life. I'm going to close this in prayer in just a minute. I'm going to go ahead and invite Nathan and the worship team to start heading back up here to sing one final song. I'm going to be down here. Pastor Johnny, I'm going to ask to stand over here. If you need someone to pray with, if you've got something in your heart that God is stirring up and you want to talk to us about it, feel free. We would be more than happy to pray with you. Maybe this is, maybe you're at a point in your life where you haven't yet submitted to the Father. That you haven't yet asked Christ into your life. But maybe you feel His call. And if today is that day, Myself, Pastor Johnny, any of our elder team would be more than happy to lead you in that prayer. So let's pray, and then we'll worship one more time. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word. Thank you for the opportunity to sing your praises this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to gather as one body. I pray that you would work in our hearts, Lord. Convict us and lead us towards perfect submission to you, Father. producing us a meekness. I pray that you would be with us this week. I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.